Hey guys, welcome back to Walkers Only Podcast. My name is Ollie Olds, and yes, I am your host. I hope you all enjoyed yourself over the break and are now settling into 2022 season with some goals or targets in what you are wanting to achieve for the year. We have some exciting stuff coming up in 2022 in which I'm not yet allowed to announce, but stay tuned and enjoy what we have in store for our amazing listeners. Also, we have some more walkers-only singlets and t-shirts available. If you are interested in some merchandise, please check the bio for the email and we'll make that happen for you. My guest is one of the most inspiring humans that I've met. I had the privilege of meeting Rogan Dean whilst playing rugby league in the Queensland Cup. He is far more than just a rugby league player. Rogan Dean was involved in a motorcycle accident which resulted in him getting his left leg amputated just below the knee. Since then, Rogan has never rolled over and given up on hope of achieving his goals. This episode will truly inspire you and make you realise your own true potential. I won't go on too much more, but I am truly honoured to have Rogan on the podcast. But before we start the episode, please hit the like and subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at walkersonlypodcast. Before we start, let's roll the intro. Don't just talk it, walk it. Rogan Dean, Guns Dean, welcome mate. Thanks mate, thanks for having me. Mate, uh, do you want to just tell the viewers a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do? Um, yeah, my well, name's yeah, Rogan Dean, um, Sort of from New Zealand originally. Our family moved over to Australia when I was about two, three years old. Mm. Um, lived in a um, little town called Grassbury Beach, about half hour out of Mackay, a little country place on the coast. So that's where, where I lived there, doing all my schooling. Started playing footy when I was about seven years old for the Serena Crocs. Yeah. Um, we did went to primary school and stuff out at Alligator Creek and... Then went to uh, in the Mackay State High School for all my high school players. Yeah, sort of always had a passion for footy. That was always my mm. sport I chose. And um, yeah, once I finished school, I moved up to Townsville. Spent a couple of years at the Cowboys in their under twenty system. Uh, yeah, once I finished up there, moved down to Brisbane. Started playing in the Queensland Cup. Sort of had a year at Wynnum, a few years at North, and then ended up out at Ipswich. And yeah. So yeah. started from there. So how did you get into you say how did you get into the cowboy system? Um so that, that was um sort of being in that North Queensland sort of rugby league section up there that they keep an eye on your f- sort of throughout all your rep comps and stuff. So mm. they'd like keep a good like a close eye on all the schoolboys stuff and your your club footy representative stuff and they um they mm-hmm. I think I they offered me a scholarship when I was I think 13 or 14 years old. Jesus, young. Um, yeah, and that's like a, a scholarship um, until you're 17, so they'll they'll like look after all your footy, they pay for all your representative costs and stuff like that, and, and then every um, couple of times a year, usually on the school holidays, you go on to 10 scholarship camps where they take you up to Townsville and you spend a week up there training, going through all the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What... Um, have you, did you always want to play footy or was that something that kind of you just gifted with and kind of got scouted at, at a young age and it was the thing to do? Um, I was a shit of a kid when I was younger. You haven't changed. <laughs> <laughs> I was a shit of a kid. I had a bit of a bit of a temper and used to carry on a bit. And um, 
I think their mum and dad said that like enough's enough. You got to play a team sport and start doing something to sort yeah. of put your regression into. <laughs> and um, mum and dad sort of being well, being from New Zealand, they've mad rugby union fans, and so they'd always be watching footy or rugby yeah. union. And so yeah, I picked rugby league because um, in Mackay there was it wasn't really they had a rugby union comp, but it was like it's it's not a very big comp. It's more league. rugby league. So yeah, I got that's why I chose rugby league and. So they took me down to Serena Crocs the next week and I signed up for my first year of footy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, Actually, I don't want to go too far ahead, but I've got a funny story about you, mate. I, I wanted to save it. <laughs> but um, So as you know, I used to live with Watto, Aaron Watson. And uh, when we just come, started doing pre-season with you, and, and um, obviously, you know, you're known for being Gunstein. I don't believe it. Like, I, <laughs> I think you're soft, but... Nah. <laughs> So one day we come home one day and he like bought like cartons of chocolate milk milkshake like the big <laughs> milk cartons and I was like what oh what are you doing mate he goes oh no Rogan Dean does it like and he's massive <laughs> so I'm gonna start sculling chocolate milkshakes <laughs> I was like oh wow <laughs> that was that was the point for me I was like okay like you because he's jacked we gotta be jacked now that's the secret it's um. <laughs> Cause I, I was always a scrawny little kid growing up, and like I'd always been told, sort of you need to put on a bit, like you need to put on size, you need to put on size. Because I was always, well, I was never one of the bigger kids, really. Nah, and then um, so I always like put a lot of emphasis on a lot of gym work, trying to get bigger and bigger, and yeah, and then um, yeah, chocolate milk was the secret, <laughs> and you sort of like wasting money on all the expensive protein powders and all that shit. Is a the old chocolate milk's got the perfect protein to carb ratio, and it's easy to keep in the fridge every time you go to the fridge. Just skull chocolate milk. Who told you about it? Or did you just like do a bit of research on it or something? Um, I think I read about it somewhere. Saw something on um, yeah, something <laughs> online, and then I like, went and and got the chocolate milk. Reading the back of it, and I was like, shit, they're right. Oh. <laughs> and it tastes a lot better than all your protein powders <laughs> and stuff. I think Water needed to tweak a few other things. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you, if you're just drinking that and not doing anything, you'll blow out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so obviously you did um, under twenties at the Cowboys. Yeah. So that so you're 18, 19, was it at that age? Or yeah, so I moved up there um, once I finished school. So yeah, yeah at the end of uh, 2009. Yeah, so it would have been 17, 18. Mm. And then after that, you got offered to North Devils. Yeah, so I played a. Yeah, a couple of seasons at the Cowboys, and then yeah, once I um, finished up, sort of yeah, finished. I was too old to play twenties, and they didn't give me a first grade contract. So yeah. it's a um, fine line with under twenties, though, because I think everyone thinks at the time that like we're on you, like I'm going to make it, I'm going to be full time. You're in the gear, you travel with the first team yeah. everywhere, and then like reality hits. Oh, it's it's, a, it's your first taste of like what it would be like to be a professional footy player, because yeah, like you said, you travel with the team. You're doing all the full pre-seasons. You're training out of the exact same facilities. You're pretty much doing the same schedule. And then, um, but yeah, that's sort of, there's like, yeah, you still got to earn your sort of your spot to get first, the first grade contract. And a lot of players, you sort of finish up, you're too old for the 20s comp and then you're in a bit of a limbo where you, you didn't get signed up, but you're still hanging on to, like you still want to try and make it. So there, yeah, that's where you end up in the yeah. Queensland Cup. It's still well. Queensland Cup is still a good comp, and it's continuing. Yeah, oh, it's t- yeah, it was a tough comp. I I, re- I remember when I came over, like we played under twenties, and you think you're the bee's knees at that stage because you like, like you said, you're in the system, and then next thing you know, you, you're playing men, and like they're a different skill set and they're yeah. street smart, and uh, 
Yeah, it's a different ball game. Well, a lot of like even playing under twenties, a lot of your, your your sort of your better players in the under twenties comp, the your NRL squads they'll they'll take them out of the twenties comp and put them into the Queensland Cup instead to get them playing against men and the sort of the skill level and the speed and everything in the twenties comp was pretty much on par, but there's just that physicality of the playing against men that you was better in the Queensland Cup. Yeah, yeah. So then. Yeah, I totally agree with you actually with that. But then when, after that, you moved from there down to Brizzy. Yeah, so that's um, once I finished up at the Cowboys, I sort of I still wanted to keep pursuing the the footy career, and um, so the Queensland Cup was the next step. And there was at the time um, Townsville didn't have a team, so I had to leave Townsville, and then um, I didn't want to go back to Mackay just because I didn't want to move back home um, at that stage, and then. I didn't want to go to up to Cairns either. I thought I'd go down to Brisbane. There's a lot sort of more variety and a lot more opportunities being down in Brisbane. And I think um, Wynnum at the time had just won back-to-back premierships in the Queensland Cup and they were pretty keen to have me there. So, yeah, just sort of packed up just after Christmas and moved down to Wynnum. Yeah, right. And then, obviously, so did you play a bit of, bit of footy at Wynnum? Did you? I always remembered you at North. Yeah, I started, my first year in Brisbane was at Wynnum. Um, mm. I sort of moved down... Um, after Christmas and stuff, so I missed all the first half of pre-season because I sort of had to finish up my work and transfer yeah. my apprenticeship and stuff down, so it took a little while. And then um, I sort of so I started the year in the um, Fogs comp, which was like the reserve grade for the Queensland Cup. Yeah. And then my first, I only got a few cup games there that year. Yeah. And um, sort of played out, played out that season and then... One of my um, good mates that I played footy with at the Cowboys, he moved down the the following year, and he um, he signed at North, and he was he moved in with me and was renting a room off me. Zach, um, old Sam Foster, Sam Foster, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. And then he hit me up saying like, "Mate, you should come over to North, like we can like, and we're keen to play footy together again because yeah. we're pretty close mates." And um, yeah, North offered offered me a um, sort of a lot more opportunity to be playing cup, and so yeah, move, made the move over to North. Good old Glido, hey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got nothing good to say or nothing bad to say. No, nah, he's a good bloke. Glido, he's he's always been a nice bloke to me. So yeah, he's always wanted to be people's friends. I've yeah. uh, got nothing to hide on this, um, mate. Obviously at North, I, that's where I met you and uh, instantly hated you. <laughs> nah, nah <laughs> I remember you just used to throw so much shit. And everyone. Well, I was thinking, what am I doing here? They're letting blokes like Ollie Olds come there. <laughs> <laughs> they were desperate, mate. There was a salvo there. Um, but uh, another funny story was, um, I remember this one time. I don't know if I, I heard of it or what, but um, Dylan Smith. You Big know, deal. He, um, Big deal. Big deal. He signed a contract there and he walked out and he was like, oh, well, boys, um, the money's gone. I'm a franchise player. <laughs> you know, and you came in. You were like more like a French fry. <laughs> well, I heard that, mate. Oh, I man. lost my shit. <laughs> the big French fries player. <laughs> oh crap, man! Nah, he's a good bloke. Do he chucks enough chat so you can give it back oh, to him? <laughs> you know the ones you can give it to, right? Yeah. And just a bit of thick skin there. But he's a he's a really good bloke. I actually see him quite often. He's training now, and he's um, he's working hard. He's got a younger brother that. And he's a he's a little nugget as well. Yeah. They're all pretty wired, differently They're them Smith boys. Talented boys, but <laughs> yeah. Well, he was at Cowboys with you, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, so yeah, when I first, uh, I think my first year at the Cowboys, he had just finished twenties, mm. and um, 
or he's he was coming off the back of knee surgery, mm. so he sort of didn't play that that season. I was there, but he was had a first grade contract, and they sort of were looking after him, like to see him through his surgery. And yeah, yeah. So that's where I first met him there. Yeah. One thing as well about you, mate, is um, obviously at Norths you had some good times, and you had some actually times where you actually lost the love for the sport. Would you say? Yeah, that's my fir- first couple um, seasons there. I um. Like, I was loving my footy there. I was playing cup. I had a heap of good mates there. We were playing some good footy. And yeah. it's sort of the group of people we had there were a good, like a good bunch of boys to be playing with. And then uh, uh, over the, like as each season passed, a few more people left, different, like the sort of, it sort of got like a, a, all their different cliques. It sort of, mm. and it, the environment changed. The sort of just wasn't a, for me, it wasn't a good place to be around. There was, well, the team was all divided into different cliques. These people were mates and they were mates. It wasn't all sort of like wasn't all together like a footy team should be. Mm. And, um, yeah, and I think that started to affect my footy. I was treating it more like a job where I was turning up to get paid rather than turning up because it was what I wanted to do. Mm. And that was affecting my footy. And, um, yeah, so I think it was, up, I think it was my, after three years there, it was my fourth year there where I just... I was playing terrible footy and I wasn't enjoying it. There wasn't the wasn't the best group of people like that sort of that were there when I first started that you sort of wanted to be around and yeah. Yeah, so I ended up having a year off and sort of just needed a break from footy. And then you had some time off and you were your your, your day job is a fitter in Turner? Yeah. Got that right. <laughs> fitter in Turner in West End and um it takes a lot of balls man because for doing something your whole life, your, your career as in sports-wise, to have, like, to decide, oh, I just want to have a year off at a, a young age, what are you, 20, were you 25 at the time? Yeah, it would have been, yeah, like, 25. For a lot of people, man, that's their, like, make or break year if, yeah. if you haven't made it at the 20s. And um, you kind of just, yeah, it takes a lot of balls, man. And it's a lot of identity involved with playing footy and, you know, yeah. be around the Queens and Cup boys and stuff and... How did you find that year off? Was it the best thing you did, or was it a bit of a test at the start? I think, over like in the long run, I think it was was the right thing to do. Um, but like, but like you said, like you you struggle with the with the whole identity crisis at the start because like your whole your whole life, like like I know I, I was always a footy player first, and then yes. fitter and Turner to pay the bills. But like, and and everyone else, like everyone you know knows you as like Rogan Dean, the footy player, Jim and then boy, yeah. and. <laughs> And then when you you sort of, I had that, took that year off and every single person you bump into is like, why aren't you playing? Why aren't you playing? Because like they, everyone knew that footy was what, was what I wanted to do. But I was at that, that stage where I was sort of losing the love for the sport and playing for the wrong reasons and it started to affect my footy. And so in the long run, taking that year off was the best thing for my football. Yeah, kind of rejuvenated you then and then yeah. you come across good old Ipswich Jets. Yeah, because that, well, that was because um, in, in that year off, um, the Serena Crocs, my junior club, um, they were struggling that year and sort of weren't really getting to like many good results and stuff. And sort of be, being a club that I'm like still got like a lot of sort of love for because mm-hmm. that's yeah sort of where it all started. Um, I re- like we reached out to each other and um, had a set it up that um, they'd fly me home on weekends. I'd have off. Oh, and wow. I'd play a couple of, so I ended up getting a couple of games in for him that year to go back and help him out a bit. And um, I think I think that was like that was the start of it. That sort of 
made me like sort of find the love for footy again. I was yeah. really enjoying it and playing with a lot of my childhood mates that we all grew up playing with. And so that really like I started like I, I was having fun playing footy again and really loved it. And then that's when I thought like I've I st- like I am still sort of I still want to play and I was yeah. sort of too young to give it away. So that's um, the biggest thing for me was I wanted if I was going to come back and play footy, I wanted it to be somewhere that I'd enjoy and have fun, not the, like the bullshit that I'd been playing for the last few years. And um, everyone I'd spoke to out of Ipswich all raved about how the club is, it's a fun club, everyone loves it there. There's, it's not like other clubs where yeah. it's sort of everyone's playing for the love of it and having fun. And I sort of um, already had a bit of a relationship with the Walker brothers and Steve Johnson sort of throughout my years at North. And, um, yeah, they reached out and... Were pretty keen to have me over there, so yeah, that's when I went out to Ipswich. Yeah, they're they're um they're good boys. Like I was fortunate to have a season with Ipswich when I just came over and lived with Ben Walker for the first three months. He loves some interesting stories to tell, but <laughs> yeah. um, both great blokes, you know. And I, they got a different philosophy of coaching too. Like like you just mentioned, people only speak highly about those two, the methods, and they just let you play what you how they let you play the the way that you're 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 gifted to play you know yeah. they don't go hey this is way how you play we're going to change all of it yeah. into a robot and um and the, the people there are so welcoming like i remember i was like a cult uh, still a cult but training the, the cup team and i was new and tyson lafipo literally just come in he had about a hand he had a handshake for every person there <laughs> he probably still he's just <laughs> retired this year but he'd have a handshake for everyone there and um he'd welcome you regardless of how old you was to how young, you know what I mean? And yeah. um, and you you go to other clubs then and you go, hang on, like, cut boys here, fogs there, yeah. 20s here, don't talk to each other. We're too cool for you mentality. Yeah. It was like a high school thing. and Yeah, I, that's what I found about it. Switch, but like immediately, as soon as I was going out there, I was like, this is just, this is more my sort of team. It's sort of, I think I think sort of growing up in, in the country and mm. sort of having that, Sort of that, like those country roots coming to Ipswich. Ipswich was like the the country team of the Intra Super Cup kind of thing, and I, I love the environment there. And like like you touched on with the Walkers, where they just they know like for me personally, they know how to bring the best out in each footy player. They know what your strengths are and what you're good at, mm-hmm. and they let you do that. They're not trying to change your game. Like like when I was at the like even when I was at the Cowboys and Norths and stuff for it, like you'd always have. Like me personally, coaches were always into me. Every like, don't make errors, don't yeah. make errors, and and I was always getting hammered for that. And then and then so every week you'd run out there, and that's all you're focusing on. Is so true. You're not taking any risk. You're not trying to play with any flair. You're just trying to like say, don't drop a ball, don't drop a ball, and mm. and that was just took all the flair out of your game, sort of for me. And then and then it takes sort of yeah, like just that's all you're sort of concentrating on. It wasn't until I went Ipswich and they just said like. You know what you're good at. Just go out there and do it. Oh yeah. And they sort of don't have any. Yeah, like there's no pressure on you to to go out there and make sure everything's perfect. Just just play your footy, and that was the best thing for me. Yeah. Well, like you you left a massive mark there, and you still do. You're obviously still a part of the club, and um, yeah, it's that's such a thing where growing up you play footy because you love it, or any type of sport because you love it. But then when you get to the higher grades, it becomes like the love goes because it's so intensified of. You've got to play a certain way and win. Obviously, wins the key, but the like you just you just touched on. But then, obviously, with Ben and Shane, they just like you said, they probably just say, "What three things are you good at?" All right, go out there. Yeah, like, and that'll be it. It wouldn't be like 
you have to get the X, Y, and Z to play off this. And yeah, um, yeah, very grateful for them. And still in contact with Ben a lot, and and I know you are with the boys. And John was a guy who got me over. He probably regrets it now, but <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, mate. Um, so obviously, when did you finish up? Um, two thousand and. 2020, um, so I played 2019 there, and um, that was like pretty, probably one of my best seasons I'd played, yeah. sort of. um, and then we went into 2020, we had, so we'd just finished pre-season, mm. we'd played our trials, we got to round one, yeah. Um, we play, yeah, finished round one, and then that's when all the COVID shit come in, and they ended up cancelling that season. That's right, yeah. And... Um, so yeah, in that season, like because footy had been cancelled, and I sort of like I just set some other goals to do in the meantime until footy was back on. I wanted to do it, wanted to try and do an Ironman and stuff like that. Mm. So I was getting into it. I was doing a lot of running and cycling and trying. I, I was to, trying to pepper you for one bit to come join me. <laughs> I was trying to work on swimming. That was because like the How run. Hard is it, hey? I, I thought I'd run a marathon before. I'd done a couple of hundred k rides. Like. The running and the cycling wasn't too bad for me, but swimming was just terrible. Like you're a, you're a block, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very buoyant. I'm like dragging through the water. It's like gas just go like this, gasping for air the whole time. But um, but that was one of my goals. So that's sort of what I was doing in that that year off, and then um, and then obviously having your weekends spare yeah. to do do a lot of sort of other stuff. I was um, yeah, ended up going for a. Uh, motorbike ride with one of my other good mates who just bought a Harley and um, the bloke I was living with at the time because I'd, I'd moved out of my house like two weeks prior to it to start renovating also I just gutted the whole house I was living with a, a, um, a mate from work and he had a Harley as well that was just sitting in the shed and barely gets ridden and mm-hmm. yeah Mizzy my mate had just bought a new one and then so like oh we'll get take the Harleys out and we'll go for a ride and um, yeah ended up having a an accident that day which has yeah, sort of brought me to where I am now. It's sort of, yeah, ended my footy career. So that would, 2020 was when I finished up. So, obviously you're happy to talk about the accident. So how did it happen? You were on your bike. Yeah, we, um, so it, it was a bit of a spontaneous thing. We, we had, um, Mizzy had um, rode his, like, ridden his Harley over because he wanted to show me his new bike. And um, we were sitting out in front of my uh, mate's place and then my mate's like, oh, you should grab my Harley and you can go for a ride. And, I've I've ridden motorbikes since I was a little kid, so and um, I was like, oh, like, and I'd, I'd only recently just sold my bike for either that. And, it got uh, um, yeah, did got, it get robbed? <laughs> got robbed, but <laughs> sold it, but got it stolen at the same time. But, uh, but <laughs> what the heck? But yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, we yeah. jumped on. Yeah, we I jumped on my mate's Harley, and we sort of went from. So I was living in Paddington. We went from Paddington out to Sandgate, out to Redcliffe, just going for a bit of a sort of Sunday ride and then um, we're heading back to my place at around lunchtime. We're going to head back and we're going to go to the pub and watch the UFC and just have a cruisy day and we're about probably five minutes from home and um, I was coming along Sandgate Road. It's like a double lane road and um, there was a a guy came off one of the side streets and he sort of, he wanted to cut across both lanes and head the other direction and I was sort of riding down the inside lane and I saw him out of the corner of my eye. He sort of pulled up to the like to to the intersection and he stopped and I was like oh like he's he's seen me and he's given way and then um yeah right as I was just like right just riding past him he must have said he spotted a gap and wanted to cut through traffic and he just accelerated out and t-boned me on the bike and he sort of 
right on, hit me right on the left side and right where he hit me was right on my left leg and it sort of pinned that between the car and the bike and then sort of, yeah, obviously with the inertia of me flying up over it all, it sort of, yeah, ripped my left foot off. Shit. So literally it was off. Yeah, it was sort of hanging on by a bit of skin. It had crushed it all and, yeah, sort of. Mate, that's uh, that's crazy, man. Like, obviously, I'm. We've already cho- talked about it off here, but like, that's a that's a crazy crazy accident, and, and I know it's been a year since then now, right? Yeah, yeah it's been about thirteen, fourteen months now. Yeah, wow, man. It's um, yeah, I'm pretty speechless on the subject because it's how how like obviously you. I think you said at the time there was an ambulance or a woman on the way to work. Yeah, so I was. Yeah, like it. Yeah, in, in in one way I was extremely unlucky, but then lucky at the same time. I sort of because yeah, old mate, like just coming out of nowhere, he's hit me, and it's all happened so fast. So I've just gone cartwheeling through the air, and sort of, and um, when I finally stopped and like I was laying on the bitumen, I sort of the first thing I noticed was just I had a bit of gravel rush, gravel rush on my arms and stuff, and I was like, like I, I thought to myself, shit, like I got out of that pretty lucky, and I've gone to stand up, and then when I've gone to put that left leg down, it's sort of. It's just it's just given yeah. way, and I've looked down and noticed that sort of yeah that whole like my foot and everything had just been ripped off, and at, like I sort of I just sat back on my ass. I didn't really know. Like I was like thinking, shit, what am I going to do here? Yeah. And um, the car behind me that saw it all was a um, a paramedic on her way to work. So like I was lucky that she was straight over, had the whole scene under control, had the ambulance coming, kept me calm throughout the whole thing. So like I was lucky that. Yeah, there was a paramedic in the car behind me. Jeez. Mate, obviously, like, they, it could have been a lot worse as well, right? Even though, like, yeah. the situation, it, it was bad, it, it could have been. Like, that's how I try and see it, and yeah. I, I'm sure you definitely look at it like that as yeah, well. Yeah, 100%, like, it sort of, yeah, it, was, it wasn't, the yeah, but, like, a lot of bad, it was a bad accident, but, like you said, it could have been a lot worse. I sort of, where he hit me, I ended up sort of cartwheeling across the road, and I landed on, like, a medium strip up the middle, and if I'd... If I'd Shit. gone another meter over, then I did like I would have got hit by him and then hit by oncoming traffic too. Holy so like, crap. It, like you said, it could have been a lot worse. I'm still yeah. here. So. Very lucky, mate. But then from there, straight to hospital, in for surgeries and yeah. So um, yeah, the amb- ambulance came and um, sort of loaded me up, and then they rushed me straight to the um, the RBWH, um, and that's when I was rushed in for like emergency surgery and. Um, that was just um, the first surgery was just to go in and obviously tidy up all the wounded area, sort of, yeah, um, yeah, sort of do do what they could. Um, before going into surgery, they um, they told me like, look, there's probably like a one percent chance of saving your foot, like it's it's like it's not looking good. Um, and yes, I went in for that surgery, came out, and then, yeah, sort of that had to Funny. had to. Sort of, they couldn't reattach it, so I'd, I'd lost my foot. Um, Where's your headspace at that time? Like, what was going through your head at that time? Um, at that time, I just wanted like it was it was more about just just fix it, kind of like I was I was a, like a, like a lot of a lot was going on. So like my, at then I was just thinking like just I don't know, just just fix it was all I was thinking. Yeah, like yeah. My, after seeing like because after seeing it all at the road and that it was a pretty gruesome looking thing and that was all I was thinking was like just get me to the hospital and fix this um yeah. I sort of woke up from that surgery and yeah that's where they had the surgeons that and then they said look like there was there was no chance of being able to save your foot um they've t- they'd tidied up all the wound and sort of 
they had left it open at that stage because um, it was sort of just above the ankle where they ended up having to cut it off. Right. Um, and then that's they sort of brought me out of that surgery, waited for me to come to, and that's where they gave me the option to um, I could leave it at that length and they could go in and they could try and sort of skin graft and formalise the bottom of the leg. And, um, and then that way I'd only have to have a prosthetic foot. And they said in terms of looking normal and stuff like it would you wouldn't really be able to notice it too much mm. but they said you'd like you'll you'll never be able to run on it you won't be able to lift weights on it like you, you yeah. you'd be able to walk and that's about it kind of thing that's um, not going to work for you man yeah and then so they said or oh, option two is you can go in like you go back in and we'll um like cut more of your leg off and we'll take it to about mid shin um that'll mean you have to have a full prosthetic leg but that'll open up all your options to be able to run and sort of do everything I well near, pretty much everything I could do before the accident I'd still be able to do so that was a it was a no-brainer for me I just said like I'm not I'm not going to live a life where all I can do is walk around so I said yeah I'll go back in and cut more off um Jesus even even though yeah it's um it's for you to say yeah just cut it off that's a that's a like at the same time I'd be like fucking hell like yeah. obviously that's me going fucking up but obviously yeah. you're just well, I think at that stage it was like, what do you want to do? Do you want to live a life where you're going to look as close to normal, yeah. like you, but you're going to have you're not going to be able to do anything, or do you want to have a bit of a mm. like it'll stand out and you won't be normal like everybody else, but you'll still be able to do everything else? So yeah. to me, it was like if you, I'd rather live a full life than look normal. So yeah, oh man, and I know you and we've spoken about this before, but like with all this happening. You're the type of bloke where, like, I know out of anyone, it wouldn't have mentally affected you. You're like, you're already, I, I bet as soon as you come out a thing, a theatre, you're already thinking, all right, what can I do? You're already setting ideas at what I can do next. And, and I bet you had some really good support around you at the time. Yeah, I was, I was lucky that, like, I've got a lot of great friends and a great, like, sort of family. And, my like, the circle around me was, like, full of beautiful, great people. Um, yeah which definitely helped. I had support rolling in from everywhere and a lot of good people around me that, like for the early stages, which definitely helped keep your mind, yeah. sort of kept you occupied, didn't give you time to sit there and dwell on it and mm. all that sort of stuff. Um, I had to wait two days before I could go in for the second surgery to cut more of my leg off. Um, and then, so yeah, I've like sort of waited those two days, went back in, had that done. And then, yeah, still, still had all the family and friends and stuff around me, but then, like, that was in the middle of all the COVID stuff as well. Yeah. And just after that second surgery, they had another outbreak in Brisbane and they shut the oh, all the, like, pretty much all the visiting rights to the hospital like, down. There was, they, the hospital itself went into a lockdown, so there was no visitors, no nothing. And so then that was that was probably the toughest stage of the whole thing. There was, I was stuck up in hospital by myself, so yeah. I wasn't allowed any friends or family and I couldn't, like I was struggling to sleep and stuff because living a... You're in like, pain as well, obviously. Yeah, the pain was through the roof. Like just... You haven't even touched on the pain. But <laughs> yeah, mate. yeah, the pain was, like it was on another level, like at that stage. Um, Is that regardless of as much drugs that they could give you at the time to kind of like, suppress or you're against the drug? No, they've got, like, I've got this weird thing where then they can't really describe it where the pain... Like meds and that don't weren't really working on really? me. Like on the 
like even going back to the accident date, like it was when I was waiting for the ambulance and stuff, like my like it was the pain was just through the roof. And um, when the ambulance got there, the first thing I was yelling for was like, "Can you like just get me in the ambulance and give me some pain relief? Like let's get to the hospital." And they um they gave me one of the green whistles and yeah. the guy's like, "Just suck on that, you'll be right." And I was like, "Suck on that, suck on that," and like it was doing nothing. And um, really, and they sort of had to take their time a bit and sort of put the neck brace on and I was like I was just wanted to get in the ambulance and I was like oh like I'll get up and hop in like like let's just go and they're like saying no nah, mate stay still like put the neck brace and stuff on and so I was taking a little while and the sort of the green whistle was just not doing anything and then um yeah sort of went through the whole ambulance ride and stuff and the pain was through the roof and I got when I was waiting to go into surgery I was sitting in the theatre room waiting and um I was even asking the nurses there, like, can I have some pain relief? Because it's like it's been a, it's been a while now, and like nothing's working. And even the nurse there said to me, like, we've already given you like way more than we should be giving anybody. And like, you'd be ODing on it. They said like you've, you've had enough ketamine and stuff to, <laughs> to put like to put fifty men to sleep. They said, and it's not wow. doing anything. And um, what the heck? So you must have just some weird tolerance. To it. Yeah, I sort of. Yeah, I don't. The, even the doctors are saying like. We just don't know. It's sort of so. When you come out of surgery and stuff, was the pain? Yeah, um, yeah it was crazy. They, again. Um, so when I went into that surgery, they um, they sort of, they mm. um, they put a nerve block in the back of my knee, which is mm. that sort of. It's like it drip feeds a bit of um, that's right anesthetic into the nerves, and it's supposed to kill all the feeling below the knee. And um, along with that, I also had a a drip with ketamine that was. Um, and then another one for morphine, and so I had all different Holy. Um, pain reliefs on me, and like it was just doing nothing. And um, the first, the first couple nights, it was just like, like I could not sleep; it was just killing mm. me. And um, they like had bumped all the meds up to like as as high as they were legally allowed to, and it was doing nothing. Even they were saying like, like honestly, mate, you should be asleep right now; like you shouldn't be dribbling. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then they started to think maybe the nerve. Maybe they missed the nerve block in the back of my knee. Like maybe wow. they've missed the nerve. So they took me um, back into. They said you can either go, we can put you back under and have another go at it, mm. or you can do it. Like you can stay awake and do it. And after those first two surgeries, I was I was like real crook when I was coming out. Mm. Like from being under, I was waking up and I was vomiting and wasn't really mm. like reacting too well to it. So I said I don't want to go back under. Like just do it while I'm awake. And so they just did it under ultrasound while I was awake and they went back in and they redid the nerve block in the back of the knee. While you're awake? Yeah. And um, that what, sort what of... fucking Terminator or something? <laughs> and like same thing, we, like they, they did it all and you could see on the ultrasound it was right in the middle of the nerve so like it should have been working but it... Wasn't? It's, no, it wasn't working and it... It's just it was, it was a it was a rough week in hospital, like... Yeah. Well, like and, nothing um, compared to what you've had but I remember when I had, I had the nerve blocker in my groin to numb yeah. it out... My knee, and um, even waking up from that, man, I could I'd struggle to sleep. So, comparison to what you've yeah. gone through, I yeah, so yeah, that was and you're in COVID as well at this time, so you don't, you, yeah, so, time, so yeah, back to what we we're talking about that like the toughest days were, well, yeah, once we uh, once once the hospital locked everyone out, and I was just sitting up in in the little in my little room by myself, I haven't slept in like three or four days, and like, I've got not allowed anyone to visit me, so you're just sitting there and, like, just, and you're just dwelling on it, like, oh, all yeah. you can think about is, um, yeah, sort of, it, like, it. that was the toughest time of the whole thing, um, 
and then I just decided like enough's enough I just want to get out of hospital I just want to be back around my friends and family like because that was like they sort of for me they helped keep my mind off it and kept me positive um so yeah I, I, that first thing I, like after that I just said what have I got to do to be able to get out of here mm. and um they said like because at the time I had like a there was like a vacuum seal on the bottom of my leg so that would like so because it was still bleeding and stuff yeah, so that would right. take away the blood had like a catheter sort of in for like going to the toilet and stuff and then I had all the pain meds and um, different drips and stuff hooked up to me, one for antibiotics, a couple for pain relief and the nerve block as well on the back of my knee. I had all these machines hooked up to me and they said, well, for starters, you have to be off all the machines. And I, and I said, well, like, let's take them all off then. Like I want to go. I just want to go. Yeah. And um, they were against it at first saying, like, mate, like it's probably not the best thing to do. Um. I argued with them saying that, like, you've got all this pain relief on me anyway and it's, I, like, my leg is still killing me, so what's, they're like, what's, the, what's the point in having it all on me? Of course. Um, so the, they come in and made a plan that um, each day they would reduce it a bit. So the, the first day they came in and they took out the, the ketamine and the morphine and stuff like that, um, but they left the nerve block in the back of my knee and they said, so we'll take these two out first. Um, and then we'll monitor it over the night, and then we'll come back in, we'll make a decision what we're going to do next. Um, and then the next day they come in and nothing had changed. The pain was still the same, so I said, let's do the, the mm. nerve block as well. So they they took the nerve block out, they took the catheter out, um, took all the rest of the machines off me, and then they said, you've got, we'll give you a couple of hours to be able to pass urine by yourself, otherwise the catheter's got to go back in. So I was just in there skull and water and yeah, yeah, within yeah. an hour I was peeing, so I was pretty stoked about that. Yeah. Um, and and that's, then, that's crazy. So, yeah, I got all the machines off um, and then I just said, like, right, like, I want to go. And they said, well, we still have to get um, – they have, like, physios and stuff there and they said we have to get a physio to come in and assess you to make yeah. sure you can, like, get in and out of bed and go to the toilet and use the crutches. You're not going to – like if we discharge you, you're not going to go fall over and mm. sort of do more damage. So they got the physio down. I just had to show them that I can transfer out of the bed into a wheelchair and I can sort of hop on the crutches and stuff. And they, um, yeah, they did all that and they were they said, all right, well, it's, it's up to you now. If you want to go, you can go. There's nothing keeping you here. Um, and then I rang my um, my mum up and she was staying at um, apartments across the road. Um, and I told her, I said, mum, like I'm. I'm coming out today, and um, she was panicking at first, saying like I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. And I said like it's all good; they're going to give me like they're giving me stuff to come home to dress my wounds and yeah. stuff with and all that. And I said you're just going to have to help me with it. Shit. And Mum was a bit sort of she was a bit like I don't like sort of yeah a bit nervous about doing it all. And I just said like you've you've done like you've been doing that sort of like first aid and stuff for years like it's sort of it's nothing different it's just a wound on the end of my leg you can help me dress it I'm I said I'm not spending <laughs> another night in this hospital um so yeah I, I sort of got the I got the um people in the hospital to put me in a wheelchair pack up all my stuff and they pushed me down to the front of the hospital and I rang mum up and said come get me on the front <laughs> hurry up <laughs> so, how, lo- how long are you in hospital for altogether then uh nine days I was in there. Is for, that all? Yeah. I know that's long in for most people, but for what you've gone through, <laughs> nine days is jack shit. <laughs> it's nine days too long. <laughs> yeah, I, like I know what you're on about when there's no family around and friends around, um, and I can definitely relate to you when you get that head noise when you're on your own. You can go to some dark places as well, and you can look at the worst instead yeah. of it's hard to stay positive in those situations. Um, but one thing I've always known of you, Rogues, is um, like 
your mindset, man, is one of a kind. Like, I don't think I've met someone like face to face that has got a driven mindset like you. Um, even when I found out about the accident, um, I was speaking to someone and I was like, that won't stop this guy. Like, this guy is onto big things regardless. Whatever he does, he'll do it with 100%. That's how I've always met you. So, like, it, it would never, I never wanted upon anyone, but I knew if anyone's going to survive it, it would be you. <laughs> oh, that, cheers for that. Um, yeah, I think sort of, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm grateful for that sort of mindset. Like, right from, even right from the start, I sort of, my mindset right from the start was, like that's it, your foot's gone now, it's not growing back. So you can either sit here and mope around it and it's not gonna do anything, or you can just get on with it and sort of control what you can control and so your life's gonna be what you make of it. Like you're still alive, you can still do everything. Once you get yeah. through all your rehab and stuff, you're still gonna be able to go out and do stuff or so yeah, like you, like I said, you, my life from now will be what I make of it. I can either mm. have a miserable life and mope about poor me, this has happened, or I can go out and prove that it's not the end of the world and I can still do everything. And, um, yeah, sort of being a competitive prick, like even right from then I was asking the, the physios, like what what's the quickest anyone's gone from surgery to walking? And they were, I think they said at the time it was like six or seven weeks or something. I was like, right, I'm beating it. And like, so I was like, <laughs> they had like a gym at the hospital. I was like hopping over on my crutches. I was working out every day and doing all my rehab. And like yeah. for me it was just – yeah, I was just competitive right from then. I just wanted to yeah. hurry up and get on with my life. For sure. What? So, mate, that doesn't surprise me one bit. You were probably outlifting those guys in the physio. <laughs> <laughs> mate, can you sit on the bars? <laughs> well, um, for you, man, as well, like, obviously, we talk about identity, and obviously you were the football player. Um, and after that, for yourself, exercise is a massive part of, like, for most people, mental health, um, starting the day right as well and you know for you was it ever a crossword of like okay maybe I need to like work on other parts of my life um I think well like you touched on like exercise for a lot of people and and my like especially for myself it is a big part of my mental health my well-being like I I always live a very healthy active lifestyle I like, like I, I've always got to be exercising so that was like the first thing like I wanted to do is like I need I wanted to get back into the gym and I wanted just to be exercising and mm. I'd even be hopping around on the crutches. I'd go for a couple of kilometer hop on the crutches just because I wanted to be out and about doing yeah. stuff. I was sitting on my back was driving me crazy and like you said, when you're lying down doing nothing, that's when you're dwelling on stuff. You're thinking too much and so for me, the best thing was just to, the best thing for me was to get out of hospital, be around my friends and family, and start being active again, like doing the stuff that I know is good for my mental health. Um, what other stuff do you do besides exercise? Is there any other things that you like you in your routine? Um, just pretty just living an active, healthy life is what I sort of that's what I focus my life around. Being around good people and being healthy and active. That's if I have good people, I'm eating yeah. good. I'm being health, like I'm exercising. Like my, that for me, that's all I need to be living a good life. Yeah, um, that's good, man. That's uh, I like that. That's. Um, it's really interesting because there's a lot of people out there can play the in the situation you've come through the victim card, not the victim like poor me, and like that's that defines who I am now, yeah. and I can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. They've got an excuse to, but like for you, man, um, we can touch up on it. It's like recently I seen <laughs> you did a CrossFit competition, um, and it was 
normal functioning people, if that's all right for me to say. Yeah, and, um, and you come six. Is it six out of like 60-something people? Um, that, that was the in like a Teams event. So yeah. there was a... I was, um, yeah, on that yeah that that particular occasion, we were doing a teams event. There was a team we were in teams of four, and I think there was yeah sixty something teams, and like and it's like a, it's a fully able comp- competition. So um, yeah, I think we finished. I think it was yeah six or eight or something. We finished yeah. anyway out of like sixty something teams, and so that's sort of because that's like one of the biggest things, sort of where I'm at at the moment is I I don't want to this. Um, this injury to be a, a setback or it to define me I want to prove that it hasn't affected me and I'm still able to yeah. go out there and compete against fully able people and yeah. do the best sort of like that I can well uh, yeah 100% well I've seen that you did um, I don't it was like 100 over 100 kilos on the bar <laughs> <laughs> clean and jerk where, where were the moments for you where you were like I can still do this like obviously at the you've got um, what's the, the uh, prosthetic leg yeah yeah prosthetic leg um how do you clean? How do you go about cleaning, like bending so, and? Like my my biggest thing, like straight after the accident, I thought like uh, I'm still gonna I need to be playing sports and I need to be competing because mm-hmm. like a, a a big part of sort of who I am is I need to be competed competing and stuff. I'm I've got a competitive edge that sort of mm-hmm. like I just need to be doing something. Um, and obviously from the accident, I can't play rugby league anymore. Like like you could play in. Sort of, they have competitions for people with prosthetics and stuff. But I want to, I want to be competing against able people and at competing at high levels because that's sort of where I, yeah, they sort of get the most satisfaction out of it. So I couldn't play rugby league because they, like, it's sort of you lose that sort of agility and mm. they, and then they wouldn't register you anyway because you got a prosthetic leg now. Um, and you still out sprint half of the team. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, that the first thing was starting to look at like, all right, what sports. Can I do now, where I can still compete compete against fully able people and and not just not just like participate, but still be competitive. And um, so you went to the hardest sport, CrossFit. Well, CrossFit, like like <laughs> yeah, well, it was a tough sport, but there's nothing in there that I looked at and thought I can't do because of my prosthetic leg. Box jumps, um, everything. We're fine. Yeah, so I, I'm yeah, I'm at the moment. I'm doing every every exercise you've ever seen in a CrossFit competition. I'm still able to do on a prosthetic leg. Um, there's different sort of had to work around sort of mobility issues and adapt different techniques, but I can still do every exercise through different techniques and stuff. Uh, like a lot of the Olympic lifting, like you're cleaning and jerking and stuff. Like I don't quite have the ankle. Well, I've got no ankle mobility in that left leg and stuff anymore. So I catch in a lot of a ho- like a ho- higher position now. Mm. I sort of just have to adapt a technique yes. sort of to suit. So like you just means I have to pull the bar higher to get under it rather than dipping under it and stuff, yeah. but I'm still able to do it all. So Mate, it's so inspiring. Honest to God, like um there's people out there who'd be listening to this now and going like, What's my excuse? Like I've you know, I'm fully able and this guy's hit like one of the hardest adversities you can go across, come across and you're still standing there fighting it all, you know, and it just says a lot about you, Rogues. Honestly, like it's honor to be a, your, not just you on this, but a, a, your friend as well, mate. Like, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, generally, I do mean that. And with that as well, mate. Like we haven't touched on, on it a lot. Is um, how how does it go? We've spoke about it off air. How do you go with uh, like nerve pain now and like the feel of um, the foot still there, but it's not there. Yes. Yeah. So 
in in the early stages, um, like it's crazy the nerve pain. Like you sort of, you, I didn't really fully understand it until I was actually going through it. But um, in the early stages, that the pain was like through the roof, and it was through the roof twenty four seven. Like you just did not get a break from it, and um, like it, it's sort of I can still feel all that foot and everything. Like it's still there. Like I can. In my mind, I can still move it all. It feels yeah. like it's moving. I can because I can still move all the calf muscles and stuff, but it's just there's no foot there anymore. But all those, um, all your nerves that run to that foot are all still there, but they've all been cut and sort of damaged. And so now the the brain sort of because it's sort of the way it got explained to me from the surgeon is it's it's pretty much like a big sort of electrical circuit, and all those nerves are continuously computing information to the brain, so it's sending out signals and it's sort oh, of wow. goes down the foot and comes back and it's sort of that's how you that's how your body knows it knows where your hand did with hand is without looking at it stuff like uh, that it's sort of it's and then so they said the brain sort of goes into a bit of a frenzy because it's 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 sending signals down to the foot and because all those nerves have been cut and damaged and stuff there's there's um what the, the way they explained is it, it goes down there in short circuits it's sending sort of signals out and then it's not getting information back because it can't do the full circuit so the brain then starts to think that there's something wrong. So it's that, and that's what gives you the nerve pain. Your brain automatically thinks, send pain there because something's not right. Ah, uh, and, um, and they say the brain it remembers the, the very last time it got any information sent back to it, it will remember that. So, so that would have been the accident. So it was the accident, the, the getting crushed and like ripped off. That was the last time had any sort of information computed back to the brain so that's what it keeps remembering so it sends that signal all the time thinking something's happening so yeah for the for the first few months my foot just and it's like because you can still feel the whole foot but it feels like it's being like it's really being crushed and there's a lot of pressure in it and it's burning like for me it was burning like it forever felt like my foot was being held over a fire and um were you on anything for it like, yeah, like they, obviously you're mad. You don't. Well, they gave <laughs> when they discharged me. They gave me heaps of um, like like stacks of pain medication, yeah. all different sorts of like medication and nerve medication, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. But like honestly, the only thing it was doing was helping me sleep at night. Yeah, right. I'd take all the meds, and it, it would be enough to make me a bit drowsy to go to sleep. But it wasn't doing anything for the pain. Um, Have you ever tried um, CBD oil or anything like that? Yeah, well, one of my mates got me the CBD oil and I was trying that as well. Um, and I, I think, if anything, that was just aiding my sleep as well because I'd take yeah. it all sort of at, at night trying to get me through yeah. so just so I could get a couple hours sleep in. Um, I, I got it and it's helpful for sleep and yeah. general pain, but obviously nerve pain, I would be interested to see what it does. Yeah, I was doing, like one of the techniques they give you, they get you to do the mirror therapy mm. and that's it's about tricking your brain. You put a mirror like down between your legs and it sort of it reflects your right leg, and it makes it look like it's on your left leg. So when you look down, it looks like you got two feet. Oh wow! And um, while you're doing that, you got to move like sort of like in your like in your br- like because well, you can still feel that foot. And they say like with your like like do circles with your feet and stuff like that, and look at the mirror. And so I'm moving all my left leg to copy my right leg, making my feet do circles and up and down and stuff, and. It tricks the brain. The brain looks at it because, like, you can visually trigger it, and it and it goes like, "I'm not quite getting like the sort of the signals back through the nerves, but I can visually see that it's moving and it's all right." And the pain would ease. Really? Yeah. It, like it. It was trippy. That's amazing. It was How trippy could... as, but it would. So, like, in that exact time when I'm doing it and st- and like you got to really concentrate on it, and the pain would start to ease, 
and then the minute you look away from it, it's just back again. Like it's really? sort of so you'd get a little bit of a relief from it while you're doing that, but unless you're doing that twenty four seven, it would just come back straight away. Mm. Um, Another thing I want to touch up on as well is um, when you had after the surgery. Now, so it's been a year. Did you ever feel like? Did you ever feel like um, people would change or their added not attitudes where you'd be like extra nice or I want to do this um, for you uh, because they see like oh, an injury and they're like oh I could I can do that for you and you're like yeah. ah, I'm a funk I'm, <laughs> I'm sweet does yeah. that make sense yeah like, definitely um like even going back to like the early stages in the hospital and stuff I. Like I had people from everywhere wanting to come in and see me and like show the support and stuff and um, and it was awesome having so much support. But the one thing I told everyone is if you are going to come and see me, you're not going to be crying, you're not going to be sad. There's no moping around. Like it's it's not like yeah. it's it's not what I want in here. I don't want everyone feeling sorry for me. I don't want any of that shit. Yeah. Like um, one of my like real good mates, Mizzy, there was one thing he said to me that sort of stuck with me. He said like like yeah like yeah you've lost your foot and stuff like that, but. You've still got your mind, and you're still the same person. Like 100%. you are, the, you're still the same, Rogan. Like it's you're not, yeah. it's you're not a different person because of this. And that really stuck with me. Though. That's why I thought I don't want sympathy or any of that sort of shit. I'm still the same person, so don't try, yeah. don't change how you are around me. Don't like, yeah, I didn't want any of that bullshit. He's honestly talk about your mate Mizzy and my mate. He is one of the best blokes. When I was at probably one of my lowest stages, he took me in without hesitation. He was working in the mines. Yeah, and he's like, mate, there's a bed there for you, and I'll forever be grateful for that. But okay, like just an awesome person. Yeah, uh, he, he, he's one. Of, yeah, still to this day, one of my best mates. Mm. Sort of, um, he's one of the blokes I can go months without talking to him. Yeah, and I'll see him, and it was just like I seen him yesterday. Do you know, yeah. so that's a, a mate I count. You know, like the, the whole accident was tough on him too because that's the mate I was riding with on the day, and um, he was on the bike behind me, so he saw the whole Everything. thing unfold. He was there at the site, like he saw all my leg all sort of stuffed up, and um, yeah, and that, like even talking to him after, because a big, a big thing for me was I could see what what hurt me more than the accident itself was seeing all my my close friends and family and seeing how much it had, like they were upset and hurting, and like that was more what I was worried about was like fuck, like I, I want to make sure everyone else is all right because like I'm I'm actually in, in my yeah, in my like me personally, I'm thinking like I. I'm all right. I'm going to heal, and I'm going to be sweet. It's like but they're like, going through it for you, like yeah. You know? So I, I didn't want anyone suffering because of my accident. Um, like yeah, like it, so that was the big thing for me was making sure the close people to me were all right with it. And I know Mizzy was struggling with it a bit, and there was like talking to him about it, like I'd always check in, asking how he is and are you doing all right and stuff. And that was one of the things he said. He's like, oh, like it's it wasn't so much the accident, like seeing the accident. He goes, it was more. Seeing who it happened to, he's like mm. because it was because it happened to you. That's what sort of stuffed him up a bit. But yeah, like we sort of he would come up and see me all the time, and mm. we we're sort of keeping in touch, always checking in with each other. Like he's he's a real good bloke, is he? Did you obviously like you talk about? Um, you've got a good friendship circle, and when you're around them, you're at your highest. And when you're doing your routine of training and stuff, did you ever go check in with that like a professional at all? Uh nah, not really. Like I really? sort of, I didn't think I got to the stage where I needed to. Yeah. Um, I, th- I th- like like again. I was lucky. I think I had a good enough support base around me, just with my mm. my friends and family. Like I got a real loving family, and yeah. having the yeah, like the, the parents I do and the sisters and stuff I do. Like they're sort of 
they're great. Like they sort of give me all the support I need, and and then plus my good my good close friends, their family to me as well. And they were, I had I think I had a good like a strong enough support base on, and then with putting that with my own mindset, I, I didn't get to the stage where I needed any professional help. That's good. That's good. And it, it, like definitely, community is massive, and it sounds like you've got all that in shed loads. But what's next for Rogan Dean now? Um, One of the most driven people I know, so I say, <laughs> it says a lot going on with you. Well, yeah, like, so, yeah, but in terms, like, personally, I still want to, I want to um, sort of, I still want to be competing at the highest level in sports I can be. Um, and that's that's purely for my own sort of competitive side, but that's also, I want to go out and prove to everybody that this has not, and like, it, and it won't change the sort of person I am. I'm still able to do Everything I could do before, I'm still going to do now. I'm not like this injury will not like it's not going to be. It won't define me and it won't beat me. I'm still going to do everything. Um, that's my biggest goal at the moment. Um, I've, I've lucky enough. I found CrossFit now. Um, my yeah. partner sort of got me onto that. There was something she was already into, and she saw yeah. and then yeah, she sort of through her, I started getting into it, and I thought like I'm actually still pretty good at this, and I can still compete. Yeah. Um, Mate, I've, I've got bets on whenever the next Paralympics or CrossFit Games is, yeah. you're going to be there winning the gold. <laughs> like in the Paralympics or um, in CrossFit, mate, you're going to win it. Like, yeah. Yeah, cheers, man. <laughs> <laughs> How does that's another thing I want to talk now? Like, this is off subject. I'm not not scripted. How does us men we take we take compliments weird when someone says something nice about you, right? It's <laughs> yeah, like, um, oh, oh, thank you, and it's like, but then our whole lives we've been told. You need to work on this. You, yeah, you're good at this, but you need to work on that. You know, so we're yeah. easy to take criticism. You take criticism easier than a compliment. Yeah, well, it's crazy, right? But um, that's something I want to change over the years. But I truly do mean this with you, man. No, thanks, man. I appreciate um, it. One, well, the, oh, one last thing I want to hit you up as well is um, obviously you got the renovations happening as well. Yeah, those um, they're all finished now. I'm, I'm like the house is all done. I've still got a bit of landscaping and stuff to do but the house itself is all finished now what do you believe do you believe your purpose has changed now since since all this um, I, I don't think I, don't, I wouldn't say my purpose has changed my outlook has definitely changed um, it's sort of rather than like a big thing that I, that I have sort of that I want to focus on now is I want to try and sort of do, do good stuff with my time now rather than sort of just turning up to the same day job, going through like you sort of just trading your time for money or stuff. I'd rather be with my time trying to leave behind a positive effect, like doing good things. Um, yeah. I wonder, like um, I'm doing work um, at the moment. Like I'm still fitting and turning because it pays the bills and stuff, but I'm starting to do work with um, like the Wellbeing Code where we they're running um, clinics for people with mental and physical disabilities and stuff and about teaching them um, like just life skills and then getting them out playing sports and being active and stuff like that. Like it, that's something I definitely want to start branching into more. I, I think I can I can use my own experiences and stuff and try and use them as a good example and, and like show people that yeah, disabilities and like disability or not, you're still able to do everything you can. So I, I want to, yeah, that's sort of a big thing I want to focus on now is doing good with my time and trying to give back and share mm. stuff that's helped me through all that sort of stuff. And if I can give back and help other people going through similar stuff, 
Like that's my that's one of my big goals at the moment. I love that, man. That's uh, I think it's very important in life. Is you know whatever we go through in life, and when we've on the other end of it, is then helping others is a massive part of life. You know. Yeah. And I think I learned more of this after playing footy. But um, one last thing, man, I like to do with all my 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 guests is, uh, what are you grateful for? Ah, uh, grateful to still be here. Yeah. Oh yeah, great, grateful that. Yeah, even even after all the shit that's happened, I'm still able to do everything, and I'm still able to to make a change and sort of and, and impact other people's lives and still do good. Like that's yeah, what I'm grateful for. There's still plenty more that I can do. I love that. Jew, Jew boy, <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Rogues. Thanks, mate. Thanks, man. I hope you guys enjoy. See ya. Don't just talk it, walk it. Walk is only Don't just talk it, walk it Don't just talk it, walk it Walk is only Don't just talk it, walk it Walk is only